1: It's Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U, AM560 and FM96.5 HD2 WQAM, driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click williamsoncadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki.
2: And hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hurricane Hotline for a soggy Tuesday. Big show coming up. University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega will be with us momentarily. Don Bailey Jr. joins us to talk Hurricanes off-season football. Wide receiver Mike Harley also in hour number two from the ACC Network analyst play-by-play voice. Also from the Packer and Durham show, West Durham joins us tonight at seven twenty-five to talk about the ACC and baseball season starts on Friday night. Friday afternoon, the Hurricanes will be in Gainesville to open up the 2021 season. And head baseball coach Gino Damari will be with us on the show. Stephen Preciado is our producer. Cameron Gorby has put together all of our guests. And we are now joined by University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. Coach L, good evening to you. Hi, Joe. What a rainstorm did we have today, huh? Oh yeah, I got stuck twice today. Once on the highway, and uh, and in all honesty, I had my mother drive. I had to drive her through a park for her second shot today, and and the lightning alarm went off, so uh, everybody went inside. They couldn't do anything for for a while, but we're all good. How are you?
3: Yeah, we're good.
2: All right. So uh, uh, Georgia Tech is coming up on Saturday. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, we look back couple of days, a hard-fought game at Notre Dame, kind of the theme of the season, a valiant effort, just didn't have enough down the stretch.
3: Well, it was 54-all with about six minutes to go, Joe. Uh, we had played seven guys, but Gak uh, couldn't play in the second half. His knees had tightened up, so we really went with six. Notre Dame, not that they played a lot more players, but they, they – uh, They have a a very flexible squad. They've got a 6'10", power forward in Nate Lashevsky, and he can move to the five and be a stretch five because he can really shoot the three. He was a very tough matchup for us in the second half. In the first half, he got in foul trouble. But Notre Dame is is a very good three-point shooting team, and I thought we defended them very, very well this time around, much better than we did the uh, first time we played them. And uh, as you said, we kind of just ran out of gas at 54-all. Uh, we missed some layups. Yeah. We got to the basket three straight times, and, and all three times we missed the layup. So uh, we got this week to prepare for, for Georgia Tech, and hopefully the rest will really help us.
2: I thought uh, there were a couple of interesting things about the way you approached that game. You had a real effort. Number one, I think perhaps to defend the three-point line. At one point, they were they were five for 25 uh, from three-point range. And secondly, uh, I thought you did a really good job of a badgering Prentice hub, he had a tough night. He played all 40 minutes. He was two for 12, but he's kind of their engine. And when he was frustrated, it seemed to me that they, their engine wasn't uh, moving cohesively. And I thought a lot of that was because of the way you guys defended him.
3: Well, I thought we did a good job of, of defending them, but uh, you know, we anticipated having Chris likes on Sunday against Notre Dame. Uh, It's Chris's situation is so complicated and so unpredictable. He hasn't played since December the 4th. And yet last week he started to feel good. He practiced on Thursday and then on Friday he couldn't practice. He he started out and and he started limping. So I, uh, we didn't practice on Friday because We didn't have Chris Likes, we didn't have Harlan Beverly, and we didn't have Isaiah Wong, all dealing with injuries. So we sent everybody home and said, get a good rest. We'll practice tomorrow and leave tomorrow on Saturday. And we did. We practiced on Saturday, had like a 40-minute workout, and then jumped on the plane and flew to South Bend. And I thought Chris was going to play. He practiced on Saturday. He looked really good. And on Sunday at the shoot-around, he just told us, hey, my my Achilles has gotten tight. I can't get loose. So, And I I think a lot of it has to do when you haven't played in two months and then you try to practice hard, you know, there's going to be some soreness. And his soreness is in that ankle area. So without him, we weren't able to put the pressure on Prentice Hub the way we thought. But between Harlan Beverly and Isaiah Wong, they did do a very good, good job on him, and it gave us a chance to win the ball game.
2: And Then, of course, of, a, of all nights, uh, they've got a very unique guy that comes off the bench, uh, does a lot of uh, different things for them, Nicola Jogo, and in this case – He was able to hit shots. Usually, he he does what bench players are supposed to do, right? He comes in, brings energy, uh, sometimes changes the flow of the game. Uh, In this case, he was able to make some big shots for them.
3: Well, here's the thing, and I mentioned it. We got them in a little bit of foul trouble. Jawan Durham is their starting five man, and Nate Lashevsky is their starting four. So, Jogo, he subs at both the four and the five. He can shoot the three, he's left-handed, he's very good left-hand driver. So when he first came in, he came for Jawan Durham. And so that meant Nas- Nasir Brooks was going to have to guard him, and that is not a good matchup for Nasir. And the first thing Jogo did is he nailed the three, and then when, when we tried to take away his three, he drove to his left and laid it in. So we had to make a change and go to a smaller lineup and put Anthony Walker on him, which it worked effectively in the first half, but, you know, really not in the second half. So uh, Jogo ended up with 18 points. He was the leading scorer in the game and uh, he was the difference maker.
2: Uh, Speaking of Anthony Walker, uh, the positive would be he did have a double-double for you, second or third of the season for Anthony Walker. As you move forward, uh, how do you feel about the growth of his game this season?
3: Well, I think if you measure it from last year's freshman year, where he played very sparingly, to this year where he's had uh, a number of very good games, both scoring and rebounding. His issue is still about uh, having a consistent effort at the defensive end of the floor. Now, Anthony is a terrific athlete. He can run and he can jump. His, his issue is that because of his run and jump talent, he often kind of coasts. He gets into that comfort zone. And what ends up happening, like with, with Joe Go the other day, he, he let him shoot the three and then try to block it with his great jumping ability. But it was too late. He didn't block it, and Jogo made the shot. And that's always the issue with with young defensive players. Anthony is like the youngest guy on the team. Even though he's a sophomore, he's a, he's a young sophomore. And um, he uh, uh, goes for every shot fake. He, he loves to block shots, and he just needs to learn to be more consistent with his efforts. Now, it's not going to come this year. I can see that. But if he can make the same improvement from freshman year to sophomore year that we hope he'll make from sophomore year to junior year, next year he could be a real force uh, in our lineup where, you know, he, he, he has a chance to average a double double. He has a chance to become like a Kamari Murphy defender. You know, he's getting bigger, he's getting stronger. So, uh, hopefully, and, and, and I say this, Joe, I say hopefully because, uh, with, with young guys, you know, we went through COVID, we had no chance to practice all spring and summer until like August, so we gotta hopefully be able to work with Anthony and our young guys to to get them better, so that next year can be a far better season.
2: How much, Coach, uh, during a game? Because practice has been tough, whether because of COVID or because of injuries. How often in a game are you running stuff or running combinations? that you are just running to get a look at it something that you would do in practice but because you can't do it in practice you're doing it in a game
3: well here's here's the interesting thing uh, uh, about your question because Chris likes was practicing even though it wasn't a lot we thought he was going to play in the game against Notre Dame on Sunday and with that in mind, uh, we decided if Chris can play, we're going to start him because he's our best matchup on Prentice Hub. So Anthony Walker, he practiced with the scout team. He never practiced with the guys he ended up playing with in the game. Not a single possession because we have so few guys. The most players that we ever have, Joe, is ten. Eight scholarship players and two walk ons. That's really no way uh, to prepare for a game. You should have, you know, 12 scholarship players and two walk ons, 14 guys. Instead, we have eight scholarship players and two walk ons, 10. And the two walk ons are rarely ever going to get into the game. So you're really talking about eight guys. When Chris Likes bowed out, we only had seven. When Dan Gack said his knees were bothering him, And he couldn't get loose. We were down to six. And Anthony Walker, who played with the scout team, had to move in and play a ton of minutes uh, on Sunday. He he had a good game. uh, But you would much prefer as a coach to have a scout team and then your starting unit and your first two subs, your sixth and seventh man, practicing together with the starters. But that hasn't been the case all season long.
2: You have Georgia Tech coming in on Saturday, uh, a 12 o'clock game at the Watsko Center. I remember a couple of years ago you played, I think it was Georgia Tech, and you used Anthony Lawrence as your point guard to throw over the top of their defense because they would junk things up and extend the defense out. Uh, what kind of problems do they present uh, to you?
3: Well, jo- George... Georgia Tech is forcing more turnovers than any team in the ACC right now. They basically have uh, four defensive schemes. One, they're a very good man-to-man team, very, very much like Virginia. They play man-to-man most of the time. But they also play a 1-1-3 zone, uh, and the 1-1-3 basically becomes like a 2-3 and then they disguise that by playing a one three one zone where they play the passing lanes and are trying to force turnovers. And then they extend that to a three quarter court where they play a one two two three quarter court zone trying to slow the tempo down. The interesting thing about Georgia Tech with tempo is they fast break and have more transition baskets than anybody in the ACC. But when they don't get a transition basket, they really slow it down, similar to what Virginia used to do, and kind of still does. They get more baskets cutting to the basket than anybody in our league. More driving layups because Jose Alvarado and Michael uh, DeVoe are two of the best players in the ACC of keeping – they're dribble alive, dribble penetrating, back in their man in, dribbling out, dribbling back in, dribbling right, dribbling left, change speeds, change directions, and end up with a layup. And they do that off the dribble, but they also run an elbow series where they do the, the, get the layups from cutting. They're constantly giving go, constantly cutting to the basket, and they do a great job of that.
2: Uh, Alvarado is one of the more intense players in the league, and then they've got Moses Wright, who's averaging uh sixteen points a game, but he's a great rim protector,
3: yeah, jose Alvarado um who we recruited very hard out of New York, and we ended up getting Chris likes early. Jose was very interested in Miami because he was a big fan of angel rodriguez um but uh Jose is one of those guys that the opponent and the opponent's coaches would say is very annoying. <laughs> He's constantly reaching and grabbing and holding and trying to steal the ball. He he does something and Joe, I, I I don't know if he'll do it on Saturday, but he'll one of his teammates will go in and score, and he'll go hide in the corner, uh, and and get behind. And as the ball comes in play, he'll either try to steal it or come from behind and knock it loose. Hmm. So he's very disruptive. He's probably going to be on the all-defensive team. When they played Virginia, um, Josh Pastor, their coach, did something that no one else in the league has attempted to do. And he put Jose Alvarado, who's about six feet tall, on – on. Uh, Hauser uh, from Virginia, who's, who's about, oh six, seven or eight, and he did a great job, held him to eight points. So you know, Hauser's like a power forward. Uh, Jose Alvarado's a point guard, yet that's how they matched up, because Jose's such a good defender.
2: Yeah, so annoying. Okay, we'll come back and talk more about Miami and Georgia Tech. Also, uh, take a quick look at the ACC as well. Canes play Georgia Tech Saturday, 12 o'clock. We'll be on the air at 1130. Let me talk to you for a moment about Williamson Cadillac, a part of Miami's unique community for over 52 years and Williamson Cadillac serves this community with the same essence that represents the people who live here because Williamson is Miami Ed Williamson, Carol Williamson, his lovely wife. They are well known for their integrity and honesty and right now you can experience everything that Williamson Cadillac has to offer with its award-winning lineup. You can make a statement in their unmistakable XT crossovers, engineered to stand out. Of course, it has all that tucked touch technology I have the xt4 you can excite your senses in Williamson's ct sedan series dedicated to performance the ct series is simply dynamic or or the one everybody is lusting after the original icon the fifth generation now the Cadillac escalade it has been brought to an all new level visit their state-of-the-art facility easily located us 1 and 104th street just south of the palmetto expressway or view their entire lineup online at williamsoncadillac.com ed and carol williamson big 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 university of miami basketball supporters williamson cadillac your premier luxury dealership williamson is miami
1: I'm Channing Crowder with this celebration of Black History Month on 560 The Joe WQAM. Fitz Pollard, he's recognized as the first African-American coach in pro football history. Becoming coach of the then Akron Pros in 1921 in the American Professional Football Association, which later became the NFL. In 1928, he organized and coached the Chicago Blackhawks. They played teams in Chicago area, as well as West Coast teams, where the Blackhawks became one of the most popular teams out West. In college, he went to the Ivy League School, Brown University, majoring in chemistry. Brown played in the 1916 Rose Bowl, and Pollard became the first African-American player to appear in the Rose Bowl. Following football, Pollard went into business service and a tradition of excellence. At Milam's Markets, you'll receive a truly unique shopping experience. They offer only the highest quality farm fresh and organically grown produce. They also only carry the finest cuts of meat, including USDA Prime, Certified Angus, Grass Fed, and Wagyu beef. Also featuring over 1,000 varieties of wines and craft beers. Five convenient day locations. Milam's offers quality, variety, and service second to none. Come experience the difference. Milam's family grocer since 1984. I'll be right there. Uh, we got to redo the whole thing. Then. Indeed, knows unexpected growth
4: can stretch your business. Then,
0: like at Phil's machine shop. To keep carving out more revenue, he needs to get started hiring right, right away. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. And the moment you sponsor a job on Indeed, you get a short list of quality candidates from our resume database. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get a $75 credit for your first sponsored job post. Terms and conditions apply. When's the last time you looked at your bathroom? Second thought, you might not want to make eye contact with that old faucet. It's time to head to Lowe's for some home improvement. Choose from stylish brands like American Standard, Delta, and Style Selections, and transform your before bathroom into an amazing after bathroom. Woohoo! You can't see her, but she's high-fiving herself. Don't just do it yourself. Do it for yourself. Stop by Lowe's or visit lowes.com slash D-I-F-Y for vanities starting at $99. Valid through 331 U.S. only.
1: Now back to Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click WilliamsonCadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki.
2: Still to come, Don Bailey Jr., Mike Harley, West Durham, and... University of Miami baseball coach Gino Damari. Steven Preciado is our producer. We are talking with University of Miami head coach Jim Laranega. Coach L, uh, usually at this time of the year, as the season gets late, you almost have a triple, uh, triple agenda, keeping an eye on how to finish the season strong, what can you do in a tournament, and then keeping an eye on what a future hurricane team will look like. How do you – uh, keep an eye on what a future roster will look like. Guys are allowed to come back if they want to come back. What would the roster limit be and, and how is recruiting playing into all of that?
3: Well, Joe, I, I just got notified today that the ACC is is going to allow players at least next year, at, right at the end of this season, that you can transfer within the ACC and play right away. <laughs> so a player from Duke could end up playing at Carolina. A player from Carolina could end up being at Louisville. A guy from Louisville could be at uh, Syracuse or Miami. So um, it'll, it'll be uh, shuffling the deck because there's going to be so many transfers who are going to be immediately eligible, and the rosters in the ACC are going to be dramatically different. And we'll probably fall into that category as well because we have six seniors. They'll all be graduated, and they could all leave, or they could all return. In my own estimation, if you've graduated and have your master's degree, what are the odds of you coming back? So uh, we have a number of guys who fall into that category. We also have a number of guys who are very anxious to turn pro. You saw where Duke just lost a player to the NBA draft. Did you see that? Jalen Johnson, yes. one of their outstanding freshmen, has announced that, that uh, um, he is uh, going to concentrate on preparing himself for the NBA draft so he's no longer a part of the Duke basketball program.
2: I was going to ask you about Jalen Johnson, not so much... Uh, to ask you to comment on another team's player, but uh, the comment perhaps on moving forward and players opting out. In this case, in Jalen Johnson's case, he he left IMG Academy early, so he has a history of leaving early. Would you have? Uh, would you give players advice that listen when you opt out? Uh, or don't continue to play the NBA or whoever you're wherever you're gonna go play. Essentially, in your job interview, they're going to want to know why.
3: Well, no, Joe. I think the basketball culture kind of accepts this as as pretty routine. Yeah. James Weissman did it last year at the University of Memphis, and he ended up being the second player chosen by the Golden State Warriors. I think there's there's a lot to be said for how uh, the um, pro basketball has impacted uh, high school and college basketball with their rules. The biggest rule was one and done. Once they went to one and done, every high school player, their parents, their AAU coach, that's all they want to hear going forward. Do you think my son is one and done? Do you think he can be one and done? Where do you think he would play? Do you you think he'd be drafted? Is he a lottery pick? And everyone that comes into the ACC, all your players think they're going to end up playing in the NBA. I talked to DJ Vasilovich, who's one of the nicest young men you ever wanted a coach. He graduated from the University of Miami in three years, got his master's in his fourth year, so played four years of college ball. He's now home playing professional basketball in Australia. But I talked to him uh, two days ago and he told me all the NBA scouts are are watching him and he's probably going to have a a chance to play in the NBA next year. So it doesn't matter whether you're 18 years old and in high school or you're a a freshman in college, sophomore, junior, senior, a fifth-year senior. Everybody's thinking – They're getting ready for the NBA. So it's the basketball culture. It starts very, very early. And I think it's impacted uh, so much by the amount of money that's at stake. When you hear guys signing uh, contracts for $120 million for three years, I mean, like, unbelievable.
2: Yeah. How how do you think uh, your – I guess, normal recruiting of high school players coming in for next year. How, how, how did that go for I know you had a couple of guys you were able to sign up early. How do you feel about that situation?
3: Yeah, I feel, I feel good about the two kids we signed. They're both very good players. They both got size and toughness. You know, one of the things about our team, you know, we, we, we lost our best defender and rebounder and shot blocker in Sam Wardenberg, a fifth-year guy. So we and then we lost Rodney Miller a 7 footer weigh 250. You know, we lost some of our our interior strength. And we we're going to need at the end of this season my coaching staff is is going to have to find some big strong physical guys who can compete at this level. Cuz if not, you just get manhandled on the boards.
2: Yeah. You know, I heard uh, Coach K the other night talking with Lon Kruger, the head coach at Oklahoma. And Coach K said to him, "The Big uh, the Big Twelve is probably the conference with the uh, where the teams are the oldest." And he asked uh, Lon Kruger about age, what that does for teams. And Kruger's response was, "He thought the age helped the most on the defensive end, in terms of physicality, and then uh, players being connected to each other because of experience and age."
3: Well, that's absolutely a fact that that's not even an opinion because here's what happens when a young man as a freshman comes into your program, he was recruited primarily because of his offense, because he scored a lot of points in high school. Most young kids are not physically mature. They're they're not all big, strong guys yet, but during the course of their college career, you've seen the pictures of Isaiah Wong, haven't you?
2: Absolutely, yes. Yeah.
3: When Isaiah Wong came in, he weighed 162. Now he's like 185 and, and muscular. He's so much stronger than he was a year ago. And and he's a kid who's worked really hard on strength and conditioning, and that's one of the reasons I think he's one of the odds-on favorites to be the most improved player in the ACC. He averaged seven last year, and he's averaging 17 this year. And he is, he is older, stronger, more mature. Can you imagine if we are able to keep him next year and the year after? He'll, he'll be a man. He'll be 22 years old in his senior year and really have an advantage over the incoming freshmen. The reason that's so important is because defense is about physicality. You've got to put your body on your opponent. You got to push him and shove him and fight him. Whether you're a big guy or a guard, you're always battling for position. And it takes additional strength and conditioning to get a guy to the point where he's really physically mature. So what Lon Kruger was saying to Coach K is very very true. The older teams are more physically strong and better prepared to defend.
2: Uh, The Big 12, uh, Coach K was capitulating on this one on the ACC. He was uh, handing it over to the Big 12 that they probably uh, have the best conference. Now you've got Ohio State and Michigan in the Big 10. They might want to say something about it, which is ironic. Ohio State and Michigan are going to play a a huge basketball game this weekend. And When you think of those two, you think of football, but uh, they're going to play a big game this weekend.
3: Well, you know, Joe, I was the head coach of Bowling Green State University. And um, that was back in the, the late 80s and early 90s. And we played both those programs. <laughs> um, Steve Fisher was the head coach of Michigan, and he coached the Fab Five. And we played against them. Chris wow. Weber, Jawan Howard, Jalen Rose. We had a great game at their place and lost by a few. Um a couple of years later, we played Ohio State that same year, and they beat us by like 50. But three years later, we played Ohio State at St. John Arena, the home court back then, before they opened up the Schottenstein Center. And we beat Ohio State at Ohio State. It's one of my favorite memories uh, at Bowling Green. We, we beat some Big Ten teams, and, and uh, we beat Michigan State a couple of times, and we beat Ohio State. Uh, and we beat Kentucky, who's one of the, the great premier college basketball programs in the history of the game. But Michigan and Ohio State, the rivalry is not just in football. It's in every sport and for every student. Northwest Ohio has a ton of of Michigan fans because you're closer to, to – uh, um, uh, the University of Michigan than you are Ohio State. But the rest of the state is loaded with Buckeyes and the Buckeye fans and the Michigan fans fight over everything just like Duke and Carolina.
2: You know, you mentioned uh, in this segment about the transfers within the conference, within uh, the ACC during the off offseason. Uh, that gets me to how much do you think you're going to have to devote to one, re-recruiting your own players, and then two, uh, how does that work with the other guys? who uh, Will uh, people try to poach from your team? Does someone call you to recruit another player? Do <laughs> you have any idea what that game plan looks like?
3: You know, uh, Craig Anderson is our associate athletic director, and he's primarily our liaison uh, to Blake James and the athletic department. And we were talking about, um, the rule that is referred to as tampering. What is tampering? Can can a, uh, another Division I school just call my players and reach out to them and say, hey, we'd like you to transfer to our place? The answer supposedly is no, you can't do that. But as you know, and I think anybody that follows college sports knows, just because there's a rule, it doesn't mean people are going to follow it. Because what What coaches do is they don't reach out to the young man. They reach out to the young man's AAU coach. Hey, what are you hearing about so-and-so? What is he going to do? Is he going to stay at his school, or is he thinking about transferring? Let him know that if he wants to transfer, we've got a scholarship for him and would love to have him in our program. That is going to start happening so much that I think it could destroy college basketball overall. I think the, the uh, system that is now in place in a couple of years is going to be so antiquated because the transfer rule is going to change it and the rule about name, image, and likeness where college players can make money is going to change the entire culture and and the entire system. The NCAA is going to have to totally revamp all of its rules to accommodate all the different possibilities because they can't monitor the cheating. You see what, what, what's happened over the years. Coaches are being accused of stuff. And they never get punished. So how are they going to monitor this with, with tampering and schools reaching out to, to players through their AAU coaches or their parents for that matter?
2: Yeah, I can see a guy in a layup line or taking jump shots before the game and someone whispering over to him as they walk by, boy, he sure would look good in our uniform.
3: <laughs> well, I, you know what I could actually see, Joe? The NCAA, there'll be some pressure on them to allow kids who have left early, who put their name into the draft, didn't get drafted, or didn't make a team to allow them to come back if they want to get their degree. Now, the thing about most of these kids is they have no interest in getting their degree. Wow. You know, Joe, you know me very well, and my number one priority is education. I want all of our players at the University of Miami to get their degree. We have a 100% graduation rate of the guys who stay four years, and the only guys that haven't gotten their degrees are the guys who've left early. Those guys, uh, a Bruce Brown, who's still attending school, he went to summer school working toward his degree, Lonnie Walker, who was one and done, Dewan Hernandez, who was three and done. Those guys haven't gotten their degree, but I'm hopeful that all three of them will eventually get their degree by taking online classes while they play in professional sports. But the guys who have left early, who don't make the NBA, who are like in the G League and can't stand making $35,000 a year and want to go back to school, I will not be surprised if in three or four years the NCAA makes that a new rule, that if you haven't exhausted your four years of eligibility, but you left early to go to the pros, but you want to come back now that you're 21, 22 years old and don't have a college degree, you can come back and be eligible.
2: Oh, my goodness. And I'm you know, going to I, give you an example, Joe,
3: <laughs> in my own personal experience. I coached a player who we recruited out of the Army. His name is George Evans. He played for us at, at George Mason. And he, he graduated from high school at 17 years old, spent eight years in the Army. And then we found out about him and recruited him to George Mason. And the NCAA has a rule and has always had this. If you, if you join the military, those years don't count against your eligibility. So he enrolled as a freshman at George Mason at the age of 25 and graduated at the age of 30. He got his degree. That's why I'm saying. I'm an educator, Joe. I'm a teacher first. I loved working with George Evans. He was an A student. He took college very seriously because he learned how important getting an education was when he was in the military.
2: You know, one of the things I I always consider, it's probably not just unique to Miami, although this is, uh, I think, a very supportive community to its athletes when they accomplish good things and when they're done. And I think sometimes, whether it's, well, pick any sport, uh, an athlete can be short-sighted and not realize what he can gain by finishing his career at the University of Miami, not only getting his degree, but if a guy does really well and wins or uh, strikes it good in the record book, uh, a community remembers that. And therefore, uh, a person, a player, an athlete always seems to have a place in that community, and I think we've seen that many, many times over here in South Florida with University of Miami players.
3: I have that conversation with my players all the time. And one of the conversations I'll share with our listening audience is about Angel Rodriguez. You know, Angel grew up in Puerto Rico, but came uh, as a non-English speaking teenager, went to high school in Miami, uh, played for Shaky Rodriguez. Rest in peace, Shaky, And um, he left and went to Kansas State. And after two years at Kansas State in Manhattan, Kansas, he transferred back to Miami, sat out one year, played for us for two years. He was a fantastic player, very, very popular in the community. And I told him, look, it, when your, your playing days are over, you're going to play professional basketball for a number of years. When your playing days are over, you're going to have tremendous opportunities back here in Miami whether it's to get into coaching or get into broadcasting. I told him, you should be thinking about a career in broadcasting where you could broadcast for the Spanish-speaking channel, whether it be (laughs) TV or radio. Joe, he could take your job.
2: (laughs) Uh, Well, there are a lot of people who can do that, Coach.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Or he could be your color man. I mean, you know, one of the things about Angel, he's, he's such an engaging personality. His, his wife uh, is from Miami. His, his, his son uh, was born and is being raised here and in Puerto Rico. So uh, he's got a very bright future because he's a local. DeJuan Hernandez, the same thing. He grew up here in Miami and, and uh, went to New Orleans High School, comes to the University of Miami, and hopefully he'll continue to do his, his schoolwork during the summers. He'll get his degree and then probably come back and settle in this area, you know, maybe with his his wife and children. Who knows?
2: Okay, Georgia Tech comes up on Saturday. We go full circle. What's the rest of the week look like uh, for you as you go into Georgia Tech? You'll have some uh, about a week in between games. So, uh, what happens this week as you get ready for Georgia Tech on Saturday?
3: Well, I just got a text message from my trainer who said that, you know, the guys need rest. We gave them. Yesterday and today off. Uh, we'll practice tomorrow, um, Thursday, Friday. Play Saturday, but Harlan Beverly is limited to just shooting. He he can't jump and bounce and, and aggravate his herniated disc. So he'll be he'll be very very limited. Dan Gack, of course, will be limited because of his knees. Well, we we won't know uh, until tomorrow what Chris Likes is capable of doing or what he will be able to do. Uh, so we just keep our fingers crossed that no one else gets hurt.
2: All right, very good. Well, I'll talk to you on Saturday. Always an enjoyable conversation. I think we broke a lot of news here tonight with the recruits and all kinds of stuff, transfers.
3: Yeah, so. Oh, lot.
2: <laughs>
3: all right, thanks. All right, Coach.
2: So- Appreciate it. Thank you. That's University of Miami head coach, Jim Laranega. And we will continue on the show right after this.
1: Now back to Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click williamsoncadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki.
2: All right, joining us on the show now, my broadcast partner, Don Bailey, Jr., as we continue talking University of Miami football in the offseason, taking a look at what the Canes might look like in 2021. Always a uh, busy time. We'll get to one of the coaching moves that occurred here or will occur uh, momentarily, but we'll call this uh, the David Feely time of the year, Don. It's uh, off season conditioning.
5: <laughs> and it's really... <laughs> One of the most important times of the year, I think that so many years ago, Joe, the off season was was so underestimated. And but now, you know, it's a, it's basically a twelve month cycle for for football, and you go in season, and you've got the guys that are redshirted, the guys that are playing limited reps, they're on a, a different schedule, and they try and catch them up size and speed wise. And now everybody's able to get into the weight room. They're able to get into groups. They're doing their mat drills. And it, it, it's you build a lot of teamwork right now. You build a lot of trust in each other. You really see who's committed and who understands what it takes. And it certainly helps, in my opinion, that you're playing the University of Alabama in week one. And that's going to get everybody's focus. But you've, it's the time, if you're a player, to gain speed, gain strength, conditioning. And really what it does is it – it aligns the depth chart in a lot of respects. What's going to happen in spring football by how hard you work when the in the off season?
2: You know, yeah. When you uh, work hard in the off season, that's how you get your spot on the uh, on the depth chart when you go into spring. So guys can uh, fight for their depth chart spot, a spot for the beginning of spring football during all these off season workouts.
5: Well, it does, and and you know. The coaches get a chance to really interact with you. And it's not just your position, Coach. I think that's the beauty of spring conditioning is you, you run circuits. So you're going to have different coaches are going to get to evaluate all the players, not necessarily at their position, but as somebody's effort and their leadership and, and what type of work ethic they have. And that carries a lot of weight when you're having your personnel discussions in the, in the early summer. And I think it helps. The more eyes on all these players, the better it is.
2: Well, one of the things uh, happened earlier. The University of Miami's has already uh, lost Travis Williams, their linebacker coach. He left. He was here about a week. We had him on the show last week. Hope I didn't insult him. But he, he went to UCF with uh, Gus Malzahn to become the defensive coordinator there. So he gets the opportunity to become a, a defensive coordinator Uh, It reminds me, I know you you can find different examples. I was telling somebody earlier today, uh, Dave Wonstadt went from the University of Miami to the Miami Dolphins to work with Don Shula. He was there for about two weeks, and then Jimmy Johnson took the job with the Dallas Cowboys, and Dave Wonstadt left the Dolphins for the Cowboys. So uh, Travis Williams is going to go back to work with uh, the guy that he's been aligned with, Gus Malzahn at UCF.
5: Well, Malzahn, of course, from 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 Auburn, and I understand it. It's a promotion. And, I, you know, in this business, I don't think there's many guys that are in it that don't at some point in their career um, have aspirations of being a head coach. And, you know, if you're a coordinator, more often than not, the next stepping stone is to the head coaching job or at least the assistant head coaching job. So I understand it. It uh, creates an opening here for the university of Miami and, and another opportunity. Uh, Manny went out and did a great job with the hires that he had in the off season and set the direction of this football team. He's made it known that he's going to be the defensive coordinator. So he's going to go find himself uh, a willing and able uh, person that will coach these linebackers and and step in and, and be in a great position here at the University of Miami to learn from Coach Diaz, not only as the head coach, but as a defensive coordinator.
2: One of the guys uh, coming up on the show next, Mike Harley. Harley is coming back. I know you were a huge advocate of Harley coming back. He is coming off his best season uh, as a hurricane. His first three years, it took him forever to get into the end zone, but this past year, he did find the end zone a lot, and he found it at the right time.
1: He really did, Joe. It's
5: like he broke the ice uh, after about the fourth or fifth game this year. And the great news about Mike Harley is is that he always has had great work ethic. He's always had great energy. He's always tried as hard as he can, but it just didn't click, whether it didn't click with the quarterback, whether it didn't click with him being mature enough at the position. And all of a sudden, All those things came together, and it happens for all of us at different times in our career, and it happened for him really at the right time. I mean, I think he was one of the the saviors of the season in a lot of respect. He was able to come up with big plays. He was the most consistent player at a a
1: position that was very inconsistent.
2: No question now. (laughs) Right? I mean,
5: and I think that's the biggest biggest thing for, for us to realize is how consistent he was.
2: Uh, 57 catches, 7 touchdowns. Uh, The next... Well, Brevin Jordan also had seven touchdowns. Jordan is moving on to the NFL. We'll get to that in a moment. But you look at the other, other wide receivers. Mark Pope had uh, two touchdowns this past season. And, you know, I thought Pope was was okay for the year. He made some plays. Obviously, broke a lot of hearts in the, in the final game against Oklahoma State. Uh, D. Wiggins certainly has room to take his game to another level. He had three touchdowns. So, Harley, uh, seven touchdowns and is, is embraced embracing that role of being one of those leaders uh, looking at that at this extra year as an opportunity to be one of the guys
5: well joe i think that's his best attribute is his leadership and you know you and know i are at practice and he's not a big he's not a real vocal guy but he's certainly a lead by example He certainly does it in the classroom and he does it in the team meeting rooms and he does everything that he's supposed to do since the day he got on campus here and that's one of the main reasons that miami recruited him was for that reason and now is he is he a fast guy yeah he is and but he's finally he's developed into a receiver and just like we're seeing zion nelson who started off what many people say will be very, very poorly as a true freshman against the University of Florida a couple years ago. Well, I think he did as good as he could do. But now you're going to see a guy that's going to end up being a draft pick because he's around and he's getting developed and he's getting stronger and he's getting more confident. And this is this is Mike Harley's room. You know, when you talk about who's going to run the receiving core, it's Mike Harley. And He's going to set the example, and he's going to be the one that's going to be on time, and he's going to be the one that's going to get on the other receivers. He'll be be the coach on the field, and you'll see that he will have a very productive season, but more importantly, he's going to set the example because there's a lot of young guys still in that room that haven't gotten on the field.
2: You know an area that people are not talking about it's right in your wheelhouse, and there should be some great competition this year and that's the that's the offensive line. You had guys like you know the young guys. Uh, last year, like Chris Washington, who got you know a lot of uh, practice time, and he'll get a good look in the spring. Isaiah Walker, who is uh, from New Orleans, started off his career sort of at, at Florida. Navon Donaldson, uh, pretty much spent all of last year rehabbing, so he gets an opportunity. Jalen Rivers, of course, Corey Gainer comes back, but I'm just kind of referring to some of those guys that second wave uh, starts to come in. There should be great competition on the offensive line.
5: There will be, and you have a keen eye for that. I, I think that Jalen Rivers is, um, without question right now, number six. I mean, maybe stretching to the number seven guy, which puts him in a position to compete. I think he's going to put pressure at, at both guards and in both tackles. He, he showed me a ton last year. Uh, he's a guy that will take advantage of this offseason. And, and, but the number one Component to next year's offensive line for me is devon Donaldson. He is he is the men amongst men, and and, and there's some there's some guys that have experience there. I'm a big fan of Corey gainer and how he leads that group and how important he is with with the line calls and getting everybody organized. And DJ Scaife, you know, uh, got better at the end of the year. Zion Nelson is going to be an NFL guy in my opinion. And but Devon Donaldson is got the the most size, the most speed, great athletic ability for a guy that's built like that. And the main thing that he's got to do this off season is get himself in shape. and And it's not running because the guy can. Let's pick the weight. Is he three? Was he three eighty last year? He made all his conditioning tests at 380 pounds, but he's not the best functional athlete at 380. He's got to be 340, 350. So if he can if he can get to that, that body weight where he's in that 330 range, the same weight that he was when he was a freshman and became a freshman All-American, he's going to be the guy that you have to have on the field. Because everybody else can hold their own because of his size and his athleticism he can make the difference and he's just uh, he's, I mean you remember the Duke game he got in and first plays in second plays in they bust a long run right behind him for a touchdown the guy hadn't been on the field in 8 months so I mean it's, he's just amazing to me
2: well all the all those offensive linemen can spend the rest of the spring and summer looking at Alabama's defensive line because what they'll see is a bunch of monsters
5: yeah well I'd, I'd tell them to look at both sides if you want to get if you want to get scared and, and, and get motivated look at the defense line and I don't think any of these Miami kids are going to be afraid of anything. I don't care what 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 letter they have on their helmet but I'll tell you the other side is you, you watch that offensive line play last year for Alabama. Uh, those two tackles are Florida guys, and uh, they were outstanding. They had a, a center that wasn't there for the championship game, except for a couple plays. But he's a guy that's a, an outstanding football player. And and overall, you know, I remember their left guard. They're just big, strong, and they're in unison. And when you and coach, uh, Garen Justice is is doing a phenomenal job getting this group in unison. And and really, that's what it is. You have to have them all working together you have to have them understanding the play calls you have to understand what the steps are and you you really want to get away from broken assignments and have an understanding i think miami's very fortunate to have coach justice and and every time i've i've been around him or i've talked to him you, you can see that his influences on this offensive line are starting to take place
2: all right don we'll talk more hurricane football next week thanks for joining us on the show
5: no problem, Joe. Enjoy
2: the evening. All right, that's Don Bailey Jr. Don't forget your hurricane season tickets for football. one 800 go Kings.
1: It's Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. AM 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click williamsoncadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki.
2: All right, joining us on the show now, University of Miami wide receiver Mike Harley, and Mike is uh, coming back for his fifth year, so let's start there. Mike, congratulations on coming back. Why did you make that decision? Why was it important to you?
6: That was um, a huge decision for me to make, uh, you know, just having the opportunity uh, to play at the University of Miami. Um, to come back, I wanted to graduate first, but make sure I take advantage of all my resources, uh, and become a player, a better player, a better leader on and off the field. And, um, you know, just enjoy my time before I hit the real world at University of Miami. That's another reason. That's a couple of reasons I came back.
2: Yeah, all very sound advice, by the way, uh, and very good reasons to come back. You had a heck of a season last year, led the team in receptions with 57, uh, seven touchdowns. How much did last year's production also weigh on your mind that it was a great year, Perhaps you could have an even better season in in the second year of this offense.
6: Right, right. Um, I won't say it was a great season for me, but, you know, it was a, a – I say I call it a, you know, a wake-up season. Um, the whole offense come back, so, you know, uh, we'll be ready to roll with a, a couple additional players. And um, right now I'm actually so crazy I'm watching film on the missed opportunities I had last year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm just – capitalizing, correcting myself, see what I have to work on for next year so I can go so I can have that great season.
2: What about uh, the second year of an offense? So uh, in this offense with Coach Lashley, being able to spread the field, uh, do the things that this offense, uh, the offense accomplished a lot of things a year ago, but now you're going to have a second year in it, uh, not only for you, but the entire offense, having a a year two, same offensive coordinator, all of those things, how important is that?
6: That's very important, you know. It all take all us to all take all eleven to you know complete the ship. You know, um, everyone was on board. Everyone's ready. We had, we had got our feet wet beginning of the season. You know, coming off of, you know the COVID break, we really didn't have spring practice, and you know having not giving us the excuse, but you know have a short period of time to get ready for the first game. And coaches, coaches barely know players. Players barely know coaches. And um, you know, second year coming around. All our guys coming back and the coach coming back. We building the bond and <clears throat> ready to drive the ship and just
2: yeah. How about all the guys coming back? Um, this is the first time this has happened to the University of Miami in a long time. Uh, have you guys did all did all you guys talk about it together about coming back and playing another year together? And, and why is it important to all of you guys to come back?
6: Honestly, when um, Coach Diaz broke the news, you know Twitter and everything else broke the news that. It would be a, you know, grant another year of eligibility. Uh, You know, me, King, a couple guys, we looked into it. But, you know, we was like, nah, you know, trying to win and, you know, get up out of here, you know, go to the next level. But uh, towards the end of the season, as we – like, I mean, the middle of the season, we seen everything started clicking for people. When I started having my my breakout um, year, you know, King was um, spreading the ball around and we was getting the flow of everything and everything was going good. We all came in a locker room, I want to say, probably like after the SC State game, and we we're just looking at you like, shoot, y'all, y'all want to take this, you know, we want to take this another year to get better and, you know, win it all. And that's when it came, uh, towards the middle of the season, so everyone knew what what we were want going to do.
2: You know, if you uh, go back in University of Miami history, and I obviously you hear about the history all the time, all the championships and all that. All those championships were won with junior and senior players. All those championships were won with guys that came back for another year. Uh, Ed Reed, who you guys know right there on your chief of staff, he came back for his senior year and had one of the most uh, biggest interceptions in the history of the University of Miami because he came back for the extra year. Uh, All those championships were were earned by guys that came back, not by guys that left early.
6: Right, exactly. And um, I remember – and Reed was telling me and a couple of guys, a couple of young guys, you know, I came back for my fifth year, man, made sure I graduate and, and sure everybody came back. When I made that decision, everybody wanted to, you know, wanted to stay in the rest speak for themselves, you know, history in the books. And, you know, he's speaking facts and you just spoke facts as well. So that's something we're going to do. We're not trying to do. That. That's something we're going to do this year.
2: You have a, a wide receiver coming in through the transfer portal. Charleston Rambo, do you know him? Have you spoken to him, worked out with him? Uh, what do you think he's going to bring your, to your receiving group?
6: Uh, he's, Charleston Rambo, he's a cool guy. Uh, we spoke a couple times. I knew him um, in high school because, you know, he went to a private house school in Texas. And um, he's at Oklahoma. He's very productive. He played with uh, two first-rounders. And um, we was talking and stuff, but um, – what he bring to the table is going well, to be competition, you know. So this competition put him in the best position um, to be on the field, make make the younger guys better, and you know, and he can learn from me and and, and, and the other guys. And just you know, brings up to the uh, re- position, uh, to the to uh, the position.
2: Hurricanes wide receiver Mike Harley is our guest here on the show. De'Aaron King got injured in your bowl game. He's going to rehab all the way up to the beginning of the season. How can the guys around him, including you, help him through his rehab? What What are some of the things that you guys can do to to help him?
6: Uh, he works out in my um, lift group in the morning. So, you know, every time I be lifting, I get down to the set. I go around, I tap him on the shoulder. I talk to him. Uh not even, you know, working out I'll text him. I'm like, yo, you wanna go grab something to eat, you know, I you know, pick him up and stuff like that, or come by the house, watch T V. You'll throw the football how he's sitting on the couch and I'll catch, you know, we'll just talk talk through things and laugh about things. You know, just basically just keeping his spirit up because he's a warrior. Yeah,
2: that's what I was gonna ask. How are his spirits?
6: High. Like he he he's ready. Like he's ready, like he can play right now. That's like that's how he is right now, like he's ready.
2: The schedule came out here during the offseason did you happen to take a peek at next season's schedule
6: uh yes I, I, you know I took, a, I took a peek uh you know we got a, a a big dance coming up in Atlanta Georgia and then um we got a couple non conference games and a couple uh ACC games same team we played last year so you know um you know all the, the teams we lost to you know little road to redemption and um we're gonna set the tone for college football uh, in Atlanta
2: uh, that, that little dance in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, probably caught your attention. Do you think that's going to be something that's going to be motivating to your team during the spring and the summer?
6: Yes, most definitely. Most definitely.
2: And they're going to have a couple of guys, or I guess they might have a couple of guys still in that secondary that are, that are from South Florida. Of course, we're talking about Alabama. So uh, probably be some crossover in terms of guys that you have played against.
6: Not even played against. I mean, grew up with literature. Like, I went to, uh, you know, elementary school with one of the star safeties. St. You uh, know, I played uh, little league football at the age of five with one of the safeties. So, we grew up in St. neighborhood. So, I already know what's coming, and they know what's coming.
2: Can, can you uh, talk a little bit about the impact that Coach Diaz has had on building the team together, keeping the team together, gluing it together, making it a, a closer team?
0: Oh,
6: yeah. yeah. Um, we do. We do um, a thing in the off season called, you know, team groups. We all break up and we have a draft and we draft guys, you know, from freshman to f- fifth year seniors, linemen, receivers, uh, you know, even to the specialists. And basically we have a group and we have like two captains and a co-captain. And we just bond together, hang around. We all go out to eat together. We compete together. And, you know, if a guy have a hiccup or in trouble, we got to hold him accountable. And if not, then the whole group's in trouble. So it's like a big brother, little brother situation thing that he's doing this. All us.
2: You mentioned the competition at wide receiver earlier. Uh, you got a lot of guys, some young guys that got on the field a little bit last year. Keyshawn Smith, Michael Redding, uh, Restrepo. How are those young guys going to compete this year?
6: They're hungry. No doubt the guys are hungry. And um, I talked with a lot of uh, our offensive coaches. And I told them, uh, you know, everyone should have a fair chance. And um, that's what coaches said it's going to do. And, you know, starting this offseason, in the weight room, pushing. Uh, and then when they get to the screen, it's going to speak for itself. So, them young guys are hungry and, you know, they're hard workers. You know, when their chance comes, uh, they're going to capitalize off of it.
2: Do you think there is one play? For you last year, that really lit the fuse. Whether it was in the Virginia game or the game-winning catch against North Carolina State, uh, maybe one play or two plays that all of a sudden you said, "Man, I can I can really dominate here on the perimeter."
6: Oh yeah, actually, um, I I'd say like NC State game when I took the uh, the slant to the house to go on touchdown, now because you know every other touchdown Virginia shoot I was wide open and um the other one I. I beat my guy one-on-one in corner. That's something I do in practice every day. But when I caught that ball, you know, stayed on my balance or that touchdown, I just felt like I put the team, like, the university on my back with that play. And then after that play, I just felt like, you know what? My confidence level high. Like, I just got to keep stacking after every performance. Yeah.
2: Well, it was a very good performance, also in the in the bowl game. And I thought what also stood out in the bowl game was leadership. How much of a leadership role do you want to take on this season?
6: That's uh, one main reason I came back. Just be one of them guys that um you know the young guys look up to. You know I have you know a couple young guys they text me here and there and say I appreciate you for coming back. I look up to you, but I just want to be that leader for the whole team, not just for offense, not just for wide receivers.
2: Well, it should be exciting as we get ready to go into spring football, which is uh, it'll be knocking on the door here soon. What are some of the things you want to do between now and when spring football starts?
6: Uh, buck up my weight, uh, get faster, and get consistent. You know, uh, with hand placement and um, catching punts, and um, you know, just being that special special team force guy that do it all. Mm-hmm.
2: And then finally, uh, you mentioned earlier getting that degree. Of course, that's got to be one of the big things at the University of Miami. When you walk out of there with a degree from the University of Miami, that's something you'll, you will always have.
1: Definitely. Most
6: definitely. I, I couldn't leave without it. You know, that's the goal I'm go- going to right now.
2: All right, Mike. Thanks for joining us. We're, we are thrilled that you are back for another year. And uh, congratulations on making that decision.
6: Yes, sir. I appreciate you.
2: That is Mike Harley. I have a question for you have you been thinking about a luxury suv have you been waiting for a luxury suv have you been dreaming about a luxury suv well if so i've got the answer for you williamson cadillac williamson cadillac has been a part of miami's unique community for over 52 years Williamson Cadillac is conveniently located us 1 and and 104th Street just south of the Palmetto Expressway Ed Williamson has been in business for 52 years and Williamson Cadillac serves this community with the same essence that represents the people who live here because Williamson is Miami if an SUV a luxury SUV is your dream car I highly recommend Williamson Cadillac the original icon the Cadillac Escalade, the fifth generation of the Cadillac Escalade, or you can excite your senses in Williamson's CT sedan series dedicated to performance, or make a statement in their unmistakable XT crossovers engineered to stand out with all that touch touch technology. You can visit uh, their entire lineup online at WilliamsonCadillac.com. Williamson Cadillac. So much in the car business is talked about pricing. Uh, But when you go to Williamson Cadillac, it's customer care. Friendliness and reliability are the golden rules at Williamson Cadillac. Williamson Cadillac, your premier luxury dealership. Williamson is Miami.
1: Now back to Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click williamsoncadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagacki.
2: We are pleased to be joined now. Don Bailey Jr., by the way, uh, not with us here in hour number two. It's nice to hear from DBJ in hour number one, but we are pleased now to be uh, joined by Wes Durham of the ACC Network. Of course, uh, great play-by-play voice inside the ACC Network and Packer and Durham Show in the voice of the Atlanta Falcons. Good evening to you, Wes.
7: Mr. Zazaki. how are you?
2: I'm uh, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I watch your show religiously every morning now.
7: Well, bless uh, your heart. we got to find you something else.
2: <laughs> I was going to call in two weeks ago. You had Gene Deckerhoff on. And you guys yeah. started off. You you asked him this question, Gene. What will it be like to broadcast the Super Bowl from your booth? He then went on to tell you that his booth was moved to the end zone because it of was, the Super yeah. Bowl. And then exactly. you guys went into the other booths in the country, like the one uh, with uh, with Washington, and of course our lovely place. And I was going to call in, I was going to call in and say, this is Joe from Miami. Hello.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We, as we all know in our industry, we have uh, positives and negatives everywhere. Do we not?
2: (laughs) So I did miss today's show. I have to confess Uh, the matriarch of our family, the the matriarch of our family, my mother, we had a very important uh, situation today, which was vaccine number two. So, Oh yeah,
7: absolutely. I'm uh, My mom and my in-laws have uh, have received vaccine number two, and if, and you're right, that is a very important day. You got we that are- right.
2: We were snaking uh, our way through uh, through a, a, a park here in South Florida. At any rate, uh, let's talk about ACC. And, uh, again, delighted that you're, you are with us because I know you had uh, early wake-up call and all that. You did see our, our basketball team the other night. We just had Coach L on. You had the Miami-Notre Dame game, which was kind of a microcosm, yeah. actually, of both, uh, of both Miami and Notre Dame. The Irish are hot. They're, that's the way they're winning. They're finding different ways and different guys. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of ran out of gas.
7: Yeah, and I think too uh, the thing I gathered from talking to Coach Larenega the other day, and and this is, you know, and this is on the up and up. It's not because I'm doing your show tonight. I think he's done an incredible job with, you know, some really low cards dealt his way. You know, I mean, I just think that the ability to develop guys and and be able to to kind of persevere through this year is one thing. To do it when. You know, your best players play two ball games, Joe, to you know, the injuries. Earl Timberlake now gone for the year, and Rodney Miller gone, Sam Wardenberg before the season ever started, right? I mean, to then say, Hey guys, we're gonna we're gonna load up and still try and get this done just speaks to kind of Jim's Moxie and at the end of the day I think it'll make you a better team next year. I, I'm encouraged by golly, what a great year Wong has had in terms of development um he gets my vote for the most improved player in the league easily uh, i know quincy garrier has contributed for syracuse in so many different areas but i still think isaiah wong is is the kind of player you can really ride with and and i'm impressed to see you know kind of how he develops from sophomore to junior season I, I, the other part for me is you know when you're having those kind of years you just almost wait on something to happen right and the other night it happened when, you know, Nikola Joko went crazy for Notre Dame. And the next thing you know, you've got a close ball game, you've got the lead, and then, you know, Lesheski hits a big shot, Goodwin hits a big shot, and the next thing is it's it's the same script, just a different night.
2: I'll tell you one thing. I miss college basketball as it was I mean, we have college yes, so basketball, grateful for that, but I miss college basketball, the the environment and all of those things, right? That has been a uh, – that's been the tough part of the season.
7: Joe, I can't tell you how much I would like to sit in traffic leaving the game. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, just it, – it's just the little things. And, and look, I, I think a lot of us in this business, and I think fans – I've heard from enough basketball fans in the ACC this year in one form or fashion that um, – you know, people are going to embrace the sport when we get back to normal. Uh, I think they will in Coral Gables. I, you know, I, I come down there and see very familiar faces all the time. I, I mean, it's, it's a great place to see a game. I think that the environment we have in the ACC, it's so many venues. The Peterson Event Center at Pittsburgh, and you've been going there longer than I have, the Peterson Event Center at Pittsburgh just looks, I mean, it looks like a completely different place, you know, without the Oakland Zoo same at Duke same at Carolina NC State looks different all those places uh, Blacksburg I mean it's it's just really really weird and and we're having a harder time finishing this season uh, as a result I, I think you know the the virus has been sneaky in basketball it was more pronounced in football and I said on our show that I thought basketball would be a lot harder to finish I didn't think it'd be this hard but uh, I think it's going to be really really interesting to see how the next three weeks unfold for sure
2: you know, uh, back to Miami for just a moment. The shame also is, uh, with a full complement of players, and they, we've only seen flashes. Well, they've had a game and a half of full complement. But with a full complement, right. they would be, I think, uh, one of the top teams in the league.
7: Oh, well, no question. I mean, I think when you're talking about where Timberlake has been when he's played is effective. I, I To me, Walker's helped himself. Uh, I've already mentioned Wong. I think that if you have Wardenberg, you've got a kid, not only who's got great versatility, but I think it, you could correct me if I'm wrong. I think he's also one of your better defenders. Is he not? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, so no question Miami would be a lot different. And I think that's the reason they were picked what top six in in preseason because a lot of people saw that. And look, you know, here's the, here's the weird part about the COVID year. And, uh, you're going to have a chance now. I mean, I don't know how many kids are going to want to come back, but there are going to be a lot of kids that are going to come back around college basketball, just like in college football where we've seen you know Kenny Pickett return at quarterback at Pitt and a, you know, a handful of other kids. I think that you're going to see it in basketball. In fact, talking to Coach Laronega last week and to Mike Bray, I think both those teams I saw Sunday night have a chance to have some kids come back and be part of, of their particular programs next year.
2: You know, I want to come back to that point in in one second, but before I forget, and perhaps you already know this, or maybe it to be breaking news on your show tomorrow. But Coach L was just with us uh, here in the last half hour, and he said he was just told that you will teams or players will be allowed to transfer within the league this year, starting this That's year, correct. right? Yeah. So, uh, are we in for some kind of? I guess we are going to be in for chaos inside the league. Because for the first time, we're going to see a guy maybe from North Carolina show up at Miami, or a guy from Georgia Tech go to Florida State, or a guy from Florida State go to Duke. Uh, we're going to have in conference free agency.
7: Yeah, it's going to be interesting because what's happened here, and you know, Tom Luginbill appears on our show as you know during the fall on Tuesdays, right? And he talked about this. This is a football driven. Uh, this is a football-driven concept, but it's applicable to basketball, certainly the way we're discussing it. Here's the, here's the issue, Joe. The counters versus the number, and you know you know how the counters are, right? The counters are the 85 you sign, right? right, and how they count against you in terms of your next recruiting class. Well, some folks, as much as they want to bring somebody back, they may not have the ability to do that from a financial perspective or from a, quote, numbers perspective. And so, therefore, that may free up a young person to have to say, okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to be renewed. I'll go to another institution. And, quite frankly, the best scouting has probably been done by somebody within the league. Um, and if that's going to be the case, then it makes sense to do that because it's going to ensure the young person have an opportunity to compete. It's not going to be a basketball thing or a football thing. It's an all-sports thing. And the idea that I've been told is it's to prevent the empty year of eligibility catching up with somebody. Um, How prominent it will be? I don't know. I don't think any of us know. My bigger concern, and and you'll laugh when I say this, is Luganville has convinced me in some small way that the high school junior who's going to be a senior in 21 is going to be the one that's going to be sacrificed as a result of what's happened in college athletics this year with the quote-unquote bonus year. Right.
2: Well, uh, from our perspective at Miami, you know, I'm hopeful that a lot of these guys will come back, but you never know who gets in their ear to say you're going to be in the NBA or you can go make some money in Europe. And uh, Coach Ellen and I just had this conversation, and I'm sure this is not unique to Miami, but I do think it does work well here, that if you play well. We had Jack McClinton, whose jersey went up in in the rafters, right? Jack McClinton hasn't had to buy a meal in this town in 10 years. And Good, nor should you know, he, <laughs> and nor should he. But Jack has gone on; and he's Shane done Larkin very well.
7: Kenny ought to be on that plan too. By the way, and, Joe, As far as I'm and,
1: concerned,
2: and and I'm sure they are because they came back and they played. And what I'm saying is, uh, sometimes kids are short sighted. I don't think they understand what is down the road for them when they leave early.
7: Yeah, I agree with you. I think there's some there's some real peril out there. Um, I got sent a note today. Uh, we obviously discussed Jalen Johnson's situation at Duke earlier today on the program and I got sent a note this afternoon from someone who showed me that Vernon Carey is leading the G League in scoring and that Trey Jones is in the G League. You notice wow. I said in the G League. There are no right. guaranteed contracts. Vernon Carey's a first year NBA player who's in the G League.
0: Yeah.
7: You know, that's that's a scenario there, Joe, that you don't wish on anybody because Vernon Carey could have come back and played at Duke this year and imagine what the difference would be in that ball club, right? Well, um, I, would
2: re- I, I would hate to revisit the recruiting of that, but I think Miami's whole pitch to Vernon Carey was this could be Cary County. You know, it was Wade County. We, we live in uh, yeah. Miami-Dade County, so it became sure. Wade County. It could have been yeah. Cary County. And, sure you know, just, sometimes it just, it just doesn't work, but it could have.
7: Yeah, and I think, you know, he's an example – and I'm not dismissing, I think he ultimately makes the league. Obviously, Charlotte has his rights. But, you know, you, you wonder. I mean, the one for me, and I don't know about you, but I'm of the age, I remember Scotty Thurman, 1994, right, with Arkansas. Hits the jump shot to win the national championship over Duke and Charlotte declares for the draft and doesn't get drafted. Scotty Thurman doesn't play a minute in the NBA. I mean, he was a great college player. You've got to be careful with these decisions. Now, do I think Jalen Johnson gets drafted? Absolutely. Do I think he's an NBA star? I don't know that. I I think that that's what is troubling me about young people who take that leap of faith. Um, You know, are they getting the proper information? Matt Harpering is the one that comes to mind for me. He was at Georgia Tech, had an incredible junior season. He was first-team All-ACC, and Jerry West told him, who at the time was the GM of the Lakers, he said, "Matt, you'll be okay if you go back to college for one more year." And Matt Harpering embraced the college experience and and came back for his senior year. Joe, I, 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 it bothers me in our business sometimes when I see these guys make make decisions that ultimately impact their future in in such a drastic way.
2: You know, it's funny uh, because we had our game with Carolina postponed uh, last week, and in place sure. of it on tel- in place of it on TV uh, was a replay of Maryland, and uh, I think it was Maryland, North Carolina. I think it was the 94 Mm -hmm. ACC championship game or semifinals. And I looked at that game and I went, wow, look at the size and the strength of those players. You know, Vince Carter was in the game for crying out loud. And uh, college basketball, because it is so young, I do think it loses uh, – it has lost a lot and will continue to lose a lot unless you can figure out how to keep these players around.
7: I think that's right, and I think the other thing, too, is we have to understand as people that follow this particular league, we have to understand the transitional nature of the Atlantic Coast Conference, and that's something that you know Mark and I try and talk about on the show from time to time in the morning because I think it's important not only we address the present, but we also have to address the future. The transitional nature of our league is is going to be on display here in the next five to seven years. I mean, Jim Larranaga is one of four coaches who, you know, may be in the autumn of his career, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, how much longer does Jim Larranaga coach at Miami? Roy Williams, Carolina, Mike Krzyzewski, Duke, Jim Beheim at Syracuse. That's a lot to take in. And Leonard Hamilton at Florida State, to be honest. Although he looks thirty-eight, he's seventy-some <laughs> years old. And I look, I, I take into account how valuable those men have been to the emergence and the the continued success we've had in our league. And I think it's something you tip your cap to, but at the same time you also have to understand that we're looking at those five jobs, those five, Joe, in the next five to seven years coming open. And that's – and we have to be real about that. We can't just kind of push it off into the corner. I saw that happen earlier in the 90s with, with Coach Smith at Carolina when people thought Dean Smith would coach, you know, and keep coaching and keep coaching, and Eventually, in '97, he said, "I'm not going to come back for the next year." And I, I think that's one of the things that we have to be honest with ourselves about keeping that continuity of success in ACC basketball for sure. Who,
2: uh, in, in another month, we're going to have spring football is going to start. Uh, yeah, we at least are. In Miami, right? So, uh, who's going to nip at Clemson's heels? Anybody?
7: Um, you know what? I here here's a funny story, and it's one that. I actually told on radio yesterday down in uh, in Southeast Georgia, the ACC, and by virtue of decisions made like the Eric Kings at Miami and Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh, the ACC brings back an inventory at quarterback, Joe, that I don't know we've seen, you know? Yeah. I mean, even with DJ Uyungle taking over at Clemson, we're going to see a very, very solid quarterback position throughout this league next year, you know? Um and I'm, I'm interested to see kind of how the early season plays. I mean, you guys are going to play Alabama. Georgia is going to play Clemson. Uh, Louisville is coming to Atlanta to play somebody. I want to say they're playing Ole Miss, I think. Um, you know, we've got these early season games that are going to be leading the hype train, right? Right. Um, I, I think you guys have a chance. I mean, I do. I think you guys have got a chance to contend with Clemson. I think North Carolina certainly has a chance to contend with Clemson. Um, you know, the and you're going to laugh when I tell you this. The kid at Virginia, when he was healthy, was pretty flashy. I thought at quarterback, right? Oh
2: yeah, he's um, good. Yeah, yeah,
7: and he, he is can th- good. And
2: he, I, he can run and he can throw. He's a big lefty. He, sure can.
7: He, <laughs> he's exactly what they want, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, no question.
7: Yeah, and I, I think Virginia somehow might be – and their schedule is – I mean, their, their schedule is Phyllis Diller compared to, like, you guys in Clemson. But um, it, it's going to be interesting to see. But I, I certainly wouldn't have any problem with Miami. And then, I, you know, call me crazy here, but the McKenzie-Milton situation in Tallahassee is fascinating. We have not seen that young man since his leg was destroyed that game, Right. how does he come back because and you know this better than I do when he was good he was out of sight and you know what stranger things have happened right I mean one guy you plug and play you saw it last year with Derek King that kid brought a lot of momentum to the program when it was needed and can Mackenzie Milton do the same thing in Tallahassee we'll see
2: I got to ask you this uh, last question for you a little bit off the wall, but uh, I always like to mention your father because he was always very (laughs) kind to me. And so uh, I had a, I had a conversation with a, uh, you know, we get every now and then get asked to talk to a, somebody about broadcast. So this kid, I, he, he wanted me to talk to him and, and uh, I asked him, I said, well, why do you want to get in sports broadcast? He said, well, I love sports. I said, okay. He said, well, Mr. Zagacki, why did you get in? I said, I loved radio and the sounds of radio and the voices of radio. And your dad right. was one of those guys. Your dad was one of those guys that was in my head. Uh, calling yeah. Carolina games. So here you are as a kid. We're almost at the same age. I think I got you beat by a couple of years. But nonetheless, who, who did you listen to? Was it your dad or did you say, Dad, I'm going to go listen to Harry Callis?
7: That's a really good question. You know, my dad's always my favorite. That's the That's the answer I give everybody, and it's true. I mean, my dad is who I germinated 90% of my preparation principles from, 90% of my broadcast technique, all those things. But the best advice my dad ever gave me when I was 14 years old and decided this is kind of what I wanted to do because I wasn't going to grow any taller and I wasn't going to play major college basketball. My dad said, you know, it's okay. You need to reach out and talk to other guys. And it really impacted me in college because I reached out and sent tapes to a bunch of other people and got feedback. And You know, it's ironic, Joe. In my business, I feel one of the great blessings. My career has been I've gotten to meet a lot of my heroes. I've gotten to become friends with a lot of the guys who I listen to. I mean, Larry Munson at Georgia became a friend. John Ward at Tennessee became a tremendous friend and influence in in my career. Uh, The late Bob Fulton at South Carolina, who had this unbelievably gravelly voice. But when it comes back to the end, and Mike Tirico laughed with me last fall when we were, had him on the show, at the end of the day, it always comes back to my dad. I mean, my dad's calls are my dad's calls, and it's something I always remember. And uh, as much as I, you know, love the histrionics that Munson put in the Georgia football, or, you know, I got a chance to meet Sonny in the early 90s when I was at Marshall, and he was still doing Miami at a basketball tournament in palm beach with constantina popa jumping center for the canes i mean probably i'm sure i was
2: there i'm sure i was there you might
7: have been yeah and (laughs) and so you know you got to meet somebody like Sonny. um the art of the game especially on college uh athletics has just impacted my career so much and even though I've been blessed to do the NFL now seventeen years, I, I always drift back to those voices I always heard on AM radio, riding with my dad back from Carolina games on Saturdays.
2: All right, well that's cool. Well, uh, your dad was always great with me. I always appreciated that. He was always very, very kind to me, uh, especially when we came into, into the league, and uh, that was very nice of him. Uh, tell Packer I'm going to have uh, for dinner tonight. I want to get done with the show and have a pork chop, some brown water, and one ice cube.
7: <laughs> it better be good brown water packer don't drink no trash
2: <laughs> I, I know that. i know don't be well all right wes thank you appreciate it
7: anytime you know that and anytime right. cameron gorby texts me it's always imperative that i answer immediately you know that right
2: and he is the top sid in the acc in the country there's
7: no doubt i mean yeah. and he doesn't get any love at all that's the amazing yeah. thing gorby goes about it Mild mannered, very underrated, never, you know, never very braggadocious about anything he does.
2: Yeah, well, he's do- he does a great job, so we're going to have to figure out how to hold on to him, but he is one of the top guys.
7: <laughs> <laughs> he is, no doubt. Take care, man. Be well.
2: All right, Wes. Thank you. That's uh, West Durham, Packer and Durham, ACC Network, Voice Atlanta Falcons. Baseball season starts on Friday. The Canes and the Gator from Gainesville. Gino Damari comes up next.
1: Now back to Hurricane Hotline on the home of the U. 560 and FM 96.5 HD2 WQAM. Driven by Williamson Cadillac. For value, style, and performance, visit Miami's premier luxury dealership. Click williamsoncadillac.com now. Here's Don Bailey Jr. and the voice of the Hurricanes, Joe Zagaki.
2: Baseball season starts on Friday. Miami and the Florida Gator. The Gator and the Canes. Gator ranked number one in the country. All afternoon, first pitches this weekend with us, University of Miami head coach Gino Damari. Gino, good evening to you.
4: Good evening, Joe. How you doing?
2: Doing great. Very excited about the upcoming baseball season. Uh, you kick things off. Uh, what a matchup, Miami and Florida. What a way to start. And uh, you did announce your rotation today. Uh, uh, so let's go through that. Fetterman gets a start on Friday, right?
4: He does, yeah. He's a veteran guy, and he's Kind of done a little bit of everything for us he's he's been it was our closer last year. he's been a setup guy's he been a long guy. He started early in his career. Uh, he was a midweek starter in some games, and so he's done a little bit of everything, but I think you know for us and for our team, we needed him uh, back you know as a starter and uh, with that experience, and I know he's he's excited about the opportunity he's obviously he's always wanted to be a starter and uh, he's done everything we've asked of him, and uh, this year he's going to get the ball on uh, opening night.
2: Perhaps you're trying to add a dash of gray to your hair, but you're going to go with two freshmen as your weekend starters as well on Saturday and Sunday.
4: Yeah, well, we, we knew we had some talented guys coming in, uh, not just those guys, but other guys too as well. But at the end of the day, we're going by you know, freshman, senior. It doesn't matter who has who, who pitched the best or who's played the best, performed the best. And uh, Alejandro Rosario uh, is the, our number two right at this moment and he's uh he's pitched about as consistent as anybody along with fetterman he's been good from day one in the fall and um and so he's he's going to get the nod for game two and then and then uh you know uh, maderos victor maderos has uh really come out of late he we struggled a little bit early in the fall, more so on the command side of it and, uh, and that's where you're going to see sometimes with the freshman but he um he's really really pitched well and dominated in some of our inner squads of late, so uh, he's earned that right
2: uh would you say that you now i guess uh, along the lines of where baseball has gone in the major leagues, it appears that you've got some power arms on your staff
4: yeah Fetterman's not a power arm um You know, he's more of a guy that's going to sit around 90, a little bit above 90. But those guys, we do have some power arms, and those two are power arms. Uh, Rosario and Medeiros are mid-90s to even above mid-90s. And we got some other guys in the bullpen, too. So, yeah, the game's changed, Joe. uh, You're seeing a lot more arms. Uh, Velocity, kids have changed. Uh, Workouts and regiments have changed. Uh, Taking care of the arms, building the arm strength, all that stuff has changed. So um, there'll be a number of teams we face that will have just as many power arms. So it's just something you're going to see more of.
2: Who will be your closer?
4: Uh, Carson Palmquist is going to be our closer, uh, left-handed pitcher. Mm -hmm. Carson pitched, you know, again, another guy that got short-changed a little bit last year, as did everybody, but especially those freshmen that didn't get much. You know, we play uh, 16 games we played, and so he really didn't get a whole lot of opportunities. But when he did, he was pretty dominant, he's a big, tall, long, lanky lefty that's kind of a low three-quarter. Almost if anybody remembers the Danny Smith uh, era back in, I think Danny pitched 82-83. He was our closer, and he was a drop-down lefty. Danny's not quite as tall and lanky as Carson is, but uh, Danny was uh, certainly a dominant force for us. as You don't see too many left-handed closers, but Danny was a good one, and Carson's got a chance to be a really, really good one for us.
2: Yeah, of course, uh, Danny Smith won the uh, uh, first national championship for the University of Miami, and uh, you're right, uh, Carson. When he drops down, he can—he is a nasty left-hander.
4: He is. He's going to have to be able to do it to both. He's going to be—you know—is obviously should be more dominant to lefties, but he's still got good, st- good enough stuff to do the same with righties. He's got a very good breaking ball. He throws strikes. He pounds the zone. He goes after hitters, and uh, of course, he's got a change-up too as well with the with the righties that he can throw. So um he's pitched very well for us uh it's a sh- short period of time that he's been here again he missed out on having a full year last year but we our our thoughts were with him last year he had a chance to um, you know really be very very good for us late in the in the games out of the pen so he's going to get the nod for us
2: I find this very interesting. You go to Gainesville with 11 of uh, you go to Gainesville with eight of the nine guys who started at least 11 of the 16 games a year ago, which includes Del Castillo, who was who rated the number one hitter in the nation.
4: Yeah, well, we have uh, a number of returning guys from the offensive side. There's, there's no doubt about that, but you know we, we're, we're going to start some freshmen too in the lineup. There's some freshmen that have played very well or some incoming new guys. Uh, that you'll see in our lineup on Friday and of course the lineup can always change I met with a number of guys today kind of just so they don't get surprised you usually have that alumni game to play uh, and you put that lineup up in the alumni game and those guys know that's kind of going to be the lineup for opening night but we didn't have that this year we haven't had that so we're playing against everybody's playing in these inner squads so I I thought it was important to meet with the guys and tell some of the guys, you know, not going to be in the lineup maybe that had been in the past for different reasons. So we had some guys hurt, you know, or just coming back. But uh, some freshmen, uh, incoming uh, transfers that have played very well that deserve the opportunity. And so um, we will have, like you said, a number of guys are back, but you're going to see maybe three, possibly three new faces in the lineup uh, come, uh, or four maybe, I don't know, come Friday.
2: Well, I'm sure that you've got your lineup uh, card already filled out now. You probably won't get Kevin O'Sullivan <laughs> until 5 minutes before the first pitch, but uh that that's another story. Can you uh can you take us around your infield and outfield on the on the spots that you are are sure of?
4: No, you know I I'm not going to do that because I haven't told the players exactly oh. where they're, you know. I I've told well, them do way. Okay. Yeah, i told them they're going to play, but I don't want to. I don't want to do that just yet. I and I don't. I really don't know the lineup in terms of one through nine. Um, but um, you know, obviously, uh, we know who's going to be behind the plate. And you, know, you got veterans like Terrell and and uh, Valar and uh, Lala. Those guys will be in the lineup that I've been in before, and Jenkins too as well. But we do have a few new guys that are going to be in there. So, you know, it, it, it's it's still – I'm still kind of playing with it and seeing how it's going to work. It's, um, you know, it's just a little bit more different this year because we do have so many guys, and it's, it's, it's very competitive. So uh, the lineup, like I told the guys today in a meeting – like if the lineup opening day is not going to be the same lineup at the end of the season, it's going to change. And, uh, of course, you don't want to have to change it a lot. But I think myself, I'll speak for myself and our team, uh, I'm probably going to go to the bench a lot more than I ever have because we got a lot of good players that, uh, that will not start the game that, but, but might finish the game. So those are uh, things that we're going to have to learn as we go along and find the right matchups. Who's our, right def- who's our best defense late in the game when we're up? uh late uh who's our best uh you know pinch hitters off the bench left-handed and right-handed and who's the best best guy that's going to come in to steal a base for us or score from first to home on a ball in the gap and and of course that's just the hitting side of it the pitching side is a whole nother ball game but we um you know it's again it's a nice it's a luxury to have a lot of guys that I feel very confident in going to uh our bench if needed
2: Speaking of having a lot of guys on both sides, is there a limit? Is there a game-day limit on the roster?
4: Uh, In terms of NCAA rules? Yes. There is no game-day limit on the roster in terms of NCAA. When you're playing out of conference, you can have as many players as you want on the roster. Now, when we travel in conference, you can play with only 27 players. But uh, the maximum number of players used to be 35 but it's been opened up this year because of, uh, you know, COVID and what is COVID has brought to us with the extra, getting that extra year of eligibility. And, and in fact, our, our sport we had a very small draft, so a lot of kids showed up to school, thank goodness for us. And that's why we have such a good recruiting class. So there'll be some rosters uh, that'll be well enough to the 40s, uh, but ours is 35 and um so we we, we're we're right where we feel very comfortable with with the amount of guys that we have on our team
2: what do you expect from the gators they're ranked number one in the nation what do you expect to see in this series
4: well always good pitching they're always going to have very good pitching um this probably is one of their more balanced teams because they've they've got everybody back they got a lot of their their lineup is back basically and uh and their rotation in the bullpen, that's why they're ranked number one in all the polls. They have they had a good team last year, and they've got everybody back. So, like every year, it's going to be a challenge. Florida's going to be one of the better teams. It's going to be a great test for us. It's hoping our guys come in, play. We need to play. What we need to do is swing the bat a little better last year. We did not swing the bat and put any pressure on them. I don't expect games to be high, high-scoring games, but... You know, um, this is a new ballpark too, Joe, and I don't know anything about their new ballpark, so I don't know how it plays. Um, the other one, you know, was not a big ballpark. I don't think it played big, but this one might be a little bit bigger from what I hear. But but I we yeah, it'll be the first time we've played in it, be the first game game played in it. So um, we'll have to see how that goes. But it's it's going to be a great opportunity for our guys to uh, come right out of the gate and and see what we can do.
2: It's going to be a heck of a year inside the ACC before we let you go. Uh, you look at their rankings, depending on which ones you look at, it's four teams inside the top, basically four ACC teams inside the top 12.
4: Yeah, the ACC and the SEC, they're always very good. The ACC could have 10 teams, which we did for a few years back in the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's probably maybe even deeper. Uh, if you ask these so-called experts, the ACC might even be deeper than the SEC, Um, because the, the, the teams that normally are on the back end are, I mean, they're really, really good this year. And so, um, it, uh, and and this is the year we're playing all the ACC teams except one. (laughs) So, uh, this will be interesting, uh, how this all unfolds. But, um, again, we're supposed to be one of the better teams, uh, certainly, hopefully in our conference and at the end of the year in the country. And so we just got to play it out and see how it goes. But, uh, you know, I have a lot of confidence in our team, uh, a lot of confidence in our veterans, a lot of confidence in our young guys. They just got to go out there and prove it and play together. This will be the first time they've played together. We have not played one game with just the nine guys that are going to play on Friday. We haven't done You can't do that when you're inter squatting. Uh, you know, you're playing uh, the way we work our practices. Everybody's playing and scrimmaging. And so, you know, uh, this will be the first time we'll put the nine guys out there that we think gives us the best chance to succeed uh, from the lineup standpoint behind Fetterman. And then all of our bullpen will be obviously fresh and ready to go, and we do have a number of guys that uh, we feel very confident in going into the bullpen, which you will well, do early in the year. You've got to go to the bullpen.
2: The, the last thing for you, as a uh, observer, a neutral observer, okay, maybe a biased observer uh, of watching University of Miami baseball and, and you uh, in your third year now as uh, the caretaker of this program, you've got a great rapport. You've established a great rapport with your players and also recruits coming in. Uh, but it does have to be uh, a little more uh, relaxing or calming to you to know that you are going to send out basically a fairly veteran team this weekend.
4: It does, of course, absolutely. Our guys have been – a lot of our guys, have, have uh, of course, there will be a new park, but have played up there and played against Florida and know what to expect. And, uh, of course, having Fetterman throwing Friday night is a huge advantage for us. Having that experience, he's, this is his fourth year, and we've got a number of four-year and three-year starters that will be in our lineup, and uh, that's going to help. But we also got some young guys that are very, very confident players that – I know uh, our fans are going to enjoy to watch play. They're they're very exciting players. So I'm very, very um, happy with where our program is at. We haven't played any games yet, but I mean, in terms of the the talent that we have on our team and of course going into the first game, we've worked very, very hard. It's been a long, long uh, 10, 11 months, almost a year, I guess it seems like since we've played a game. And so our guys are very, very hungry, as I'm sure a lot of teams are.
2: Well, Gino, always great to talk with you. Thank you, and uh, look forward to seeing you here in the near future. The best of luck against the Gator this weekend.
4: Thanks, Joe. Take care. Good night. All right.
2: That's University of Miami head coach Gino Damari. The Gators went 16-1 and in 2020. They were ranked number one when the season was halted. Canes and the Gators renewed their old rivalry on Friday afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks to our producer, Stephen Preciado. We will rejoin you on Saturday for University of Miami basketball. Tip-off at 12 o'clock. We'll be on the air at 1130 for the Canes and Georgia Tech. Thanks for joining us, and have a great night.
0: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, Elle King,